Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. The market sinks to its lowest point yet in 2018. Thank you, Donald. <laughs> what do you say, everybody? Yeah, Mr. Big Business. Not showing his stuff. Just the opposite. Scaring the hell out of Wall Street, particularly the technology companies and the American people. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. with all the news of the day. This Tuesday, April 3rd. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, Donald Trump, he's already tweeting up a storm this morning, this early this morning. Hey, go back to bed. Just sleep in, Just for God's sleep sake. sleep in, exactly. Give us all a break. Attacking CNN this morning. Uh, attacking, again, DACA and Democrats this morning. Praising Sinclair Broadcasting again this morning. He just won't stop, and it's all a pack of lies. We'll take you through that, plus uh, the latest on many fronts. Teachers in Kentucky and Oklahoma say, thank you, West Virginia. West Virginia teachers, you showed the way. We are following in your footsteps, and they are having a, an incredible impact just taking over the state legislature in Oklahoma yesterday. So proud of our teachers they deserve a break, and the kids deserve better treatment and more money for textbooks. And, like, little things like chairs to sit in, we'll tell you all about it. Give us a, uh, Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. I started to say, give us a call. That's a long time ago. Send us your comments on Twitter, all about all the news of the day, at BP Show, and we jump right in. But first... This is the Full Court What do you press. got, Peter? What do you got? All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so we now have national championships. How about national it? National champions in men's basketball. Last night, it was a big showdown between Villanova and Michigan. Wildcats. And it was not much of a showdown. No. The Wildcats from Villanova completely destroyed Michigan. 79-62 to 62 was the final score. Villanova on quite a run here. They won the national championship two yeah, years ago yeah. as well with a, a buzzer beater. Last night, they didn't need a buzzer beater to win. They won it pretty handily. Uh, so, yeah, I mean. It, Do you think Loyola could have beat Villanova? No. 
No, no. I don't think so either. No. I mean, look, Loyola had a great run. Yeah. Shout out Sister did. Jean, yeah. and that's wonderful. But, right. like, they got lucky in a couple mm-hmm. of games, and that's fine. That's how this right. works. But, like, they are not as good as Villanova. And no, they're not. But, you know, she's only 98. She's got a few more seasons ahead of her. She's right? coming back. Yeah. She'll call, she'll she's coming back. back for sure. Good, good, <laughs> good point. Uh, how about this story? SpaceX yesterday had another launch. Uh, what's fascinating about this is they're taking 5,800 pounds of supplies and science experiments up to the International Space Station. This is with a rocket that has gone to space before. This is the second time that NASA has relied on a used Falcon mm-hmm. 9 rocket to get equipment up to the space station. And the third time that a used <laughs> Dragon cargo capsule will carry supplies to the International Space Station. So, like... This has always been the problem with NASA, right? Yeah, it's sort of a one-and-done yeah. operation, but we are moving away from that with the uh, uh, this is technology. Huge. This is huge. Yeah, it's yeah, a big, really big deal. Great. Yeah. We're sending them up. We're bringing them back down. Recycle, and baby. We're putting them back Recycle, up again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any good progressive should love, should love this. And we go to Scotland this morning. Big, big news as the world's largest dinosaur has been found in Scotland. Now, it wasn't an actual dinosaur. It was yeah. his bones, right? Or Whoa, its bones. really? But the world's largest dinosaur. We go back 170 million years ago where uh, early sauropods have been unearthed in a muddy lagoon in Scotland. And uh, they're saying that they grew to be more than 10 tons and 49 feet tall. My Biggest God. dinosaur we've ever seen. Yeah, bigger than the wall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. How about that? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, by the way, not only are they the biggest dinosaurs, these are some of the oldest uh, right. dinosaur fossils that have ever been found in hmm. Scotland, of all places. They speak with a Scottish accent. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. They're coming. They're heading to the border. Hordes, hordes of criminals and rapists heading to the border to join the Dreamers program. That is, if you can believe one word that Donald Trump says, hello, everybody. You can, of course. On a Tuesday, April 3rd. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show, and we are with you wherever you are. In the United States of America and around the globe, of course, joining you coast to coast from our studios on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Kind of quiet in Washington, D.C. We had a little uh, rain this morning overnight, but nothing like they've had farther north of ours. Can you imagine five and a half inches of snow in Central Park, New York yesterday on the 2nd of April? This is crazy. Yeah. Uh, But here in Washington, uh, things are moving along. In fact, the cherry blossoms are even closer to being in full glory. So get yourself to Washington to see the cherry blossoms. And welcome to Washington today, maybe as close as you're going to get, with the Bill Press Show. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Also on the radio, WCPT out in Chicago. How's everybody in Chicagoland today? I'm coming out there tomorrow night. Hope to see you. Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois at 6.30 p.m. And we're joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast as well. Uh, yes, with the big stories of the day, teachers in Oklahoma and Kentucky 
walking out of the classrooms, storming the state capitol, demanding more money for themselves, the pay raise that they deserve, and supplies for the kids so they can do their job. Uh, Donald Trump in a tweet storm, which continues this morning, uh, talking about DACA, DACA, attacking Democrats for killing it, when in fact he's the guy that killed it, warning about hordes of people coming to the border to for the express purpose of joining the Dreamers program, which, of course, they cannot, and taking on Amazon again, this uh, ill-advised war against Amazon, which sent the market yesterday tumbling uh, some 459 points. And we discovered that um, Donald Trump, in his congratulatory call to Vladimir Putin, actually invited him to the White House. No big deal. No big deal. Right. So this is a guy that just expelled, I don't know, 150 diplomats. We expelled 60 of theirs. This is a guy who just put his opponent in jail so he could win an election with, <laughs> without any opposition. Donald Trump congratulated him for that. It's a guy who still stole Crimea. <coughs> pardon me, stole Crimea. Still has troops in eastern Ukraine. Go on and on and on and on. And Donald Trump invites him to the White House. Yeah. I mean, what is it with this bromance between uh, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin? Someday we will get to the uh, bottom of it. Yep. Yeah. Let's start with the Dow. I mean, this is this is a guy. Remember, Donald Trump wasn't so long ago. He was bragging about the fact I told you I was going to do a great job with the economy. Look how far the Dow has climbed since I've been president. And by the way, there was some truth to that claim of uh, the Dow, of course, turned completely around under Barack Obama, came roaring back. No, I wouldn't say roaring, but slowly, slowly climbed and was more than double what it was when he took office when Barack Obama left the White House. But under Donald Trump, the market continued to climb. It climbed 8,000 points last year. So far this year, it has fallen 3,000 points. And yesterday was the biggest single-day drop uh, in a long time, went down about 900 points, bounced back, and ended up at 459 down, um, which was everybody and uh, everybody who covers Wall Street said directly due uh, to Donald Trump on two fronts. One, because of this trade war that he has started uh, over aluminum and over steel uh, and now over intellectual properties. With China, China has retaliated. Of course, the market and businesses are worried about that. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, Donald Trump's attacks over the last three days, direct attacks against Amazon and by extension against U.S. technology stocks, uh, which has um, investors worried that where Donald Trump is heading is towards some new regulation of the technology companies, Facebook already in trouble, but particularly the war on Amazon is, um, I think, ill-fated, ill-advised. And again, Donald Trump just making up, making up lies about it. It seems to be nothing more than a blood feud between Donald Trump and Jeff Bezos because Jeff Bezos owns the who, creator and head of Amazon. Also, of course, owns the Washington Post. And the Washington Post is not too friendly, shall we say, to Donald Trump. Uh, put it this way. They tell the truth about the Trump administration. Right, that's the difference. That's the difference, right. They're not anti-Trump. They tell the truth about Donald Trump. The truth and, is anti-Trump. And I think Donald Trump figures, well, I'm president of the United States. 
I'll just destroy Jeff Bezos by attacking his company. But really, it really does raise the question whether is this the role of the president of the United States to single out one company and try to destroy that company? And if a president can do that, don't you understand why the business community is nervous? If it's Amazon today, it could be Walmart tomorrow, right? Unlikely that uh, the Walton family, that Donald Trump would go after the Walton family, who are a big conservative family. But, you know, name somebody else. Could be Coca-Cola tomorrow, Pepsi-Cola tomorrow, Budweiser. Who knows with Donald Trump? Who knows? And that is a that is a— it, uh, well, well, we know he won't wage war against McDonald's. Uh, that's true. He loves them way too much. That's true, yeah. Uh, so McDonald's is safe. They're right. safe. They're on the safe list. Yeah. Uh, but does raise the question, I think, of the appropriateness and maybe the legality uh, of an American president using the powers of that office to single out and try to destroy one company. Uh, another company he's trying to destroy, by the way, CNN. i got to read you uh, one of his tweets this morning about CNN. Check out the fact, he says. This is 13 minutes ago, folks. Who says you don't get the latest news here on the Bill Press Show? Check out the fact that you can't get a job at ratings-challenged CNN unless you state that you are totally anti-Trump. Little Jeff Sucker, whose job is little in— Little Jeff Sucker. Little, everybody's little. That's his—whose <laughs> job is in jeopardy is not having much fun lately. They should clean up and strengthen CNN and get back to honest reporting. <clears throat> now, <laughs> uh, as somebody who has worked at CNN uh, on Crossfire. Little Bill Press. Little Bill. Little Billy. <laughs> little Billy Press. And then who uh, had another contract with CNN in the 2016 campaign uh, as the Bernie, Bernie, or a Bernie Sanders spokesperson. Not spokesperson, but supporter. supporter. Um, let me tell you, this is just nonsense, okay? Not my job to defend CNN, but to tell the truth. Jeff Zucker's job is not in jeopardy. What is that based on? Jeff Zucker is the president of CNN. Jeff Zucker, let's remember this, is also the guy that put Donald Trump on NBC. Jeff Zucker created the Apprentice program and hired Donald Trump to be the host of it, all right? So <laughs> this is this is Trump going against the guy that made him, number one. His job is not in jeopardy. He just makes it, you know what, up. The other thing is, let me tell you, I know because I'm around there a lot, you can still get a job at CNN and be a pro-Trumper. How about Jack Kingston, former Republican congressman, who is a CN, has a job at CNN as a CNN contributor who is totally pro-Trump? How about... Jeffrey Lord, who was there all during the campaign. How about Kaylee McEnany, who was there all during the campaign? They still got Rick Santorum on TV all How the about, time. I was getting to him. Yeah. How about Rick Santorum? No, but think about it. You throw some more names at Rick Santorum. How about Paris Denard, right? Jason now, Miller. Jason Miller. Now, those are six. Now, okay, Kaylee left to go to work for the RNC, but she left of her own accord. Jeffrey Lord was fired because of some other statement. Because he's a Nazi. Some other, <laughs> some other statement that he made. But, but he wasn't fired because he was pro-Trump. So there's at least 
four that are left there that I know of, can think of right away, who are on the payroll for CNN, who are pro-Trump. So how does he get away with this stuff? Just throws it out there. Just makes it up. At any rate, uh, on, uh, tweeting over um, over Amazon, tweeting over uh, Sinclair, coming out in support of Sinclair Broadcasting, saying they're doing a great job, and, and they're calling out everybody else as being fake news, except for Fox, of course, is uh, <clears throat> something Donald Trump loves and agrees with. By the way, there's some more reporting that was done on the Sinclair stuff yesterday. I don't know if you saw any of this, but... Like, one of our reactions is was yesterday, look, if they are given this script, at some point, if you get into this business of journalism, you want to get into it to get the real story out. So, like, yeah. if they give you this script, you just you should just walk away. You yeah, should just we, leave your job. I, we said that. I, I, tell you, well, I would. So would I. But, but the f- interesting part is some people who work for Sinclair have had, they leaked their contracts out to other media outlets. And the way that the contract is written for Sinclair is basically if you leave, if you just quit because you didn't do what we asked you to do, you have to pay us back like the previous wages you've been paid. If it's been less than a certain amount of time, you have to pay them another penalty. Like if you've been there for less than a year and you quit, you have to pay another penalty. So basically they just they hire you on for full servitude. You cannot leave the company. Boy, anybody who signed that contract. I agree with that too, right? But like that, but like, look, I, th- this is how some media companies are getting people trapped wow. in these situations. Wow. That is really pretty. That is scary. Yeah, th- I mean, th- it any says a Asia, lot about any Asian also who, agent who would recommend to talent that they take a job. Yeah, under those conditions. Yeah, it's crazy. But, like, look, you know, in some of these markets, they have 170 different TV stations. A lot of all of them are in big markets, right? And some of these people, uh, not necessarily the anchors, but some of the people that go on air, they, they, they're not necessarily working with agents, right? Like, that's one of the things they said is they just said, look, I'm yeah, fairly sure. new out of college. This is a great opportunity to work for a TV station. They gave me this opportunity. I immediately signed on. And then now, as I read my contract, I realize I'm screwed. Yeah. Right. Always read the contract, number one. <laughs> but also, like, that should not be legal. No, no, no. And I understand that uh, the more I think about it because um, my first job in television, I, I didn't have an agent. Uh, sure. I, I just uh, I wanted to get into television. I'd never done it before. Never been to journalism school. And I didn't want to get anybody in the middle of the, the guy was offering me a job. And, man, I just jumped at it. Uh, later, I hired an agent. Sure, yeah. Um, but on that first the first job, and in fact, I have I have advised uh, several young people who wanted to get into television or radio uh, that they ought to go in for their first job without an agent because an agent can get in the way. And you, first of all, you're going to end up paying the agent, so you're going to get less money. Uh, but also, they could demand some things which. Um, um, maybe you can't deliver. You, you, you know, you're just getting started, right? So, um, I'm not sure I gave him the best advice. I, I but sometimes uh, I do think you're, and and they may be more likely to hire you if sure. they're not de- if they're dealing with you rather than a lawyer, especially but, a company but a like contract, Sinclair. A deal like that, yeah, makes me think twice about it. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, look, if you're, uh, we played the video, some of the video yesterday of all these different voices around the country reading from this script. And when you look at the video, you see that there are some young people in there. Like, they're, it's probably their first, maybe second TV job. Mm-hmm. 
Meanwhile, Donald Trump, oh boy, I stayed away from the White House yesterday. Uh, I was down in that area, and uh, 30,000 people in the South Lawn of the White House for the Easter egg roll. Forget about it. Uh, but the message of Easter, of course, came out loud and clear uh, from the uh, preacher down at the White House. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, uh, he's got another job, but he sort of uh, moonlights uh, as a preacher here from the pulpit with the message of Easter. Both of these sacred celebrations remind us that God's love redeems the world. Almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote, Darkness covers the earth, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Uh, oh, I'm. Oh, God. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. First you, of all, he does sound like he says doctors. I had to listen to that four <laughs> times before I knew he was saying darkness. You, you went to seminary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is that what you learned in school, Bill? <laughs> he, he has no idea who the prophet Isaiah is. No clue. Oh, no. He probably no thinks he hangs out with Frederick Douglass. <laughs> Frederick Douglass and the prophet Isaiah. Folks, 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 uh, folks the prophet Isaiah. More and more people realize he's, he's doing a good job. Folks, we know who prophet Isaiah is. Yeah. We all yeah, know right. this guy. We're all going to hear about him more and more. Folks. He, he knows as much about the prophet good guy. Isaiah. As prophet he, Isaiah, good guy. Yeah, as he knows about DACA. <laughs> yeah, right. God. I mean, to hear Donald Trump talking about the, the gospel, the Old Testament, the message of Easter. Folks, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Just yes, prophet Isaiah. Right. But he also is an expert on the weather. Let me tell you, it was cold yesterday. It was cold in Washington. This was not like, you, you think about Easter Sunday with all the no. kids. No, no, no. With everybody running around in their new spring coat. You know, I saw the pictures that I saw from friends who were there. Everybody had their overcoats on. But for Donald Trump, it's a beautiful day. We're supposed to be pouring the weather it was supposed to be very rainy and nasty and cold and windy. And look what we have. Uh-huh. Perfect weather. Perfect weather. Yes. Perfect weather. Right. Uh, uh, and he wanted to welcome everybody to uh, the White House. Except. The what? Except <laughs> he kind of doesn't know what it's called. Also, I want to thank the White House Historical Association and all of the people that worked so hard with Melania, with everybody to keep this incredible house or building or whatever you want to call it, because there really is no name for it. It is special. What? And we keep it in tip-top shape. We call it sometimes tippy-top shape, and it's a great, great place. What the hell? Tippy-top shape. No, wait a minute. Hang on. I want to it, back. I want to, I want to play that clip okay, again. I want to play that clip. Right. Just, just part yeah. of it where he doesn't know the name, name. of the house that he lives, he lives in. in. Right. This mm-hmm. incredible house or building or, or whatever you shack. want to call it because there really or. is no name for it. There, it is yes, special. Yes, there is. There really is there no is name, a name for, for it. it. Yes, there is a name <laughs> for it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's called the White House, dummy. Yes. And you live there. Folks. And you've lived there for over a year now, and it's been around since, I think, 1802 or something like that. Whatever you want to call it. Folks. It's called. It's special. (laughs) (laughs) This incredible house or building or or whatever you want to call it, because there really is no name for it. It is special. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Okay. What in the world is wrong with him? 
There is really no name for it. Oh, yes, there is. We call it sometimes tippy-top shape. <laughs> tippy-top shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, and while he's there, now this is, again, this is like walking into church on Sunday. He has to stop to attack Democrats over DACA and letting the dreamers down. Yesterday, he's surrounded by little kids, the Easter egg roll. And what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Of course, he's talking about attacking the Democrats over the dreamers. The Democrats have really let them down. They've really let them down. They had this great opportunity. The Democrats have really let them down. It's a shame. And now people are taking advantage of DACA, and that's a shame. Uh, yeah. Okay. So for the 937th time, may I repeat on this program that the Democrats did not kill DACA. Donald Trump killed DACA. The Dreamer program set up by President Obama was moving right along. 700,000 people had signed up. There were no problems with it. Maybe except there were more people who hadn't applied, but that was their decision. So the program was still growing. There's some out, not outside of it. But the program in itself was doing fine until September 5th, 2017, when Donald Trump said, no, I'm ending this program as is, shutting it down, sending it to Congress, and challenging Congress to do something about it. And I'll give them six months to do something about it. Otherwise, the program is dead once and for all. And even when I got over there, Donald Trump said at first, I love the dreamers. I want to help them. I'll do anything. I'll save the dreamers, right? And then he changed his mind and said, well, I'll save the dreamers if you give me $24 billion for my wall. Not even Republicans in Congress would give him the $24 billion for the wall. So now, in effect, the program is dead. Who killed it again? Donald Trump killed it, not Democrats. No matter how many times he says it, Democrats did not kill it. But then this question about they're coming he keeps talking about, and we're going to be talking a little bit later with um, Dara Lind from uh, Vox, who's been covering immigration, about just how real these caravans of immigrants coming north are. Uh, but he says they're, they're all coming here, as he said at the end of that clip. These hordes of people are heading for the border expressly for the purpose of joining the Dreamers program and taking advantage of it. Let's, uh, you heard this from me yesterday. Let's hear it from Jonathan Carl from ABC News last night. Again, ABC News, just the facts. It can't happen. You are not eligible for DACA at all unless you have been in the United States and living here continuously since 2007. So no, there is nobody who can come over the border now and claim protection under DACA. In fact, there are no new applications whatsoever being taken for DACA at all since the president ended the program last fall. So you've got to ask, does he not know that? Or is he just lying? Right. I, mean, I think that's the, I think that, by the way, is the question on any issue that Donald Trump takes a stand. Yeah. on. Does he actually not understand how it works or does he just not care or is he just purposely lying? Like, and does it matter to him that he know that he know at least try to find out the truth before he asserts something? I don't think it matters to him. I don't think that's no. the issue. But, but like, this I, is think, a, I think about this this morning just is, you know, here's a real problem on, on every front. We're living there are two different universes here, right? 
there's the real world and there's the parallel world of Donald Trump. Totally. Right? Totally. And they're not the same, and he is not living in the real world. And so we in the real world are trying to relate to, are forced to relate to, every time we turn around, this fancy whatever world that Donald Trump lives in. There's no connection between the two. And the thing that's that's really concerning about this is like, look, we've we've done this show during the Bush years, right? The George W. Bush years. I remember when we go back there and how they, the Bush administration, tried to change the subject or li- I won't say they outright lied. I mean, they did about a couple of things, right? But like, yeah, there, there was there was also just like they sort of fudged things to push things through. We've never quite seen anything like Donald Trump. We've never quite seen anything like like this, where he just flat out ignores the facts, ignores the issue, doesn't bother to inform himself on what the actual issue is. Right, and that, that's right, and, and that, and, and that, by the way, no Republicans so, are coming out and saying, "Mr. President, no, you don't understand how DACA works." They're just letting him go. No, and then how does how does the White House staff deal with that? Right? How can you deal with a guy again who just is not living in the real world? Enough about Donald Trump. I got to say a word before we take a break about our great teachers. A man, you know, former teacher, love the teachers. I think they do the Lord's work. Uh, We do not appreciate their work. We do not pay them enough. And they've had it, and teachers are standing up. It started in West Virginia, and they got what they wanted in West Virginia because they took action, walked out of the classrooms, stormed the state capitol. They're doing it today as we speak, and we salute them and wish them the best and totally behind them in Kentucky. Teachers walking out of uh, statewide in Kentucky and in Oklahoma, 36,000. Red state of Oklahoma, red state of Kentucky, red state of West Virginia. So, you know, these are not all just the liberals, right, and the blue states. In in Oklahoma, 36,000 teachers walked out yesterday, uh, and they were demanding a $10,000 pay raise. The legislature gave them something like 6,200 or something. Uh, they want the full 10000 but they're also re- striking for money for supplies for, for kids. I saw some video last night. This one girl had this history textbook, which had been it was, it was duct tape, well, duct was tape. holding it together. The, yeah. yeah, that's their big thing. There are teachers that are, that are they're striking yeah. and at the, the, these rallies and holding up textbooks that are covered in, like, electrical tape yeah. and yeah. duct tape. And here's one teacher, Laura LeBlue, talking about how— she, she spent the little money that she earned, some of it, to buy textbooks for her kids. I've used my paychecks to pay for curriculum so that my kids can pass the standards on the test. Yeah, using her own money for that. Uh, another teacher here, Kara Sawyer, they're uh, <laughs> so short on what they need in this school, it's her school, that these kids have to carry their chairs from one classroom to the next. I watch students every day move from their classrooms and they carry their chairs. Imagine, imagine. It's just disgusting, you know. Uh, and, and, and that the legislature would have other priorities or would not see that this is a number one priority, again, to, give the t- to pay the teachers what they deserve. So in Oklahoma, I saw this last night again on the, uh, CBS News, uh, Oklahoma is number 49 out of 50 states when it comes to paying teachers, right? Good God. So most teachers have more than one job because they have to. to yeah, they got to put food on the table. They have to, yeah. right, to take care of their families. And I mean, listen, 
I'm telling you, teaching is a hard job, man. If you got to prepare those classes every day, plus you're always doing extracurricular activities and all that kind of stuff. But then to have to be driving Uber at night or you know working at a or in a restaurant or something at night. I mean, and so so they're what they hope to get is up to forty thousand dollars a year. That's their goal. In Oklahoma, you start out in Oklahoma, it takes 20 years at the rate they are now to get to $40,000 a year. You have to be teaching 40 years, 20 years to reach $40,000 a year. Oh, my God. Now, why would anybody go into teaching? Good question. Right? I mean, they do it because they're dedicated, but it's certainly keeping a lot of good people out. And it's forcing people, it's really hurting families, hurting teachers, hurting the kids. By the way, this should be a lesson for voters in all of these states and for Democratic politicians in the state. The reason that this has happened and the reason that this is a problem around the country, right? Like we've talked about it in these three states in particular, yeah. but it's a problem around the country is because they've given tax breaks. In West Virginia, they gave tax breaks to coal companies, energy companies in Oklahoma. Right. There's a lot of big energy companies yeah. out in Oklahoma. Yeah. That, like so they, in Kentucky, everybody, like all these big money uh, companies, uh, they get tax breaks. And at the end of the day, they're not paying their fair share. So guess who gets screwed? Right. Exactly. The teachers. Yes. Yeah. Giving tax breaks to the energy companies and t- and taking it out on the backs of the teachers and the students. Yeah. So go, go, go with all those great teachers, members of the NEA and the AFT in Kentucky and Oklahoma, and may other states follow as well. Hey, what's going on in the political? There you go. We're talking about the politics of this year. This is going to be a big issue in the politics of 2018. Nobody knows it better than Kyle Kondik from the University of Virginia Center for Politics. He'll join us next year on The Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. This incredible house or building or whatever you want to call it, because there really is no name for it. It is special. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we are on this Tuesday, Tuesday, April 3rd. Uh, How about it? The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., And our little perch on Capitol Hill, uh, just up the street from the United States Capitol Building and the Library of Congress and the Supreme Court. We're right in the heart of the action. And I'm going to be in the heart of the action tomorrow evening in Chicago. Yep, Wednesday, April 4, 6.30 p.m. Out at the great Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois. Uh, Talking politics, talking Illinois politics. There's a lot going on in Illinois. I want to find out all about it from you. Uh, the national political scene, and also I'm talking a little bit about my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. So if you're anywhere out in the Chicago area, come on by Darien tomorrow night. Uh, I don't get out there that much, so I'm going to make it uh, a chance to see as many of you as possible. Uh, invite you to come out and uh, join us. Frugal Muse Bookstore, Darien, Illinois, 6.30 p.m. Talking politics also with uh, Kyle Kondek, our good friend, managing director of the Crystal Ball down at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. Hello, Kyle. Good morning, Bill. This is it, the big year, 2018, huh? Uh, yeah, we've been, uh, well, it's never a dull moment in American politics these days, but we are actually getting closer and closer to, uh, you know, the real election. Actually, there's there's one tonight, too, the Wisconsin Supreme Court race um, is actually a, a pretty much a, 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 uh, a big race and, and one, of, one of interest, I think, yeah. that both sides are watching. Whoa, didn't even know about that one. We've been at it for a little bit here on the show already this morning before you arrived. 
uh, with some comments stirred up here, Peter. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, Bill Press Show, BP Show, uh, where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, a couple different comments on several different issues. Michael says, do you think it's a coincidence to have the Sinclair simultaneous statement about fake news, Donald Trump attacking Bezos and saying he will invite Putin to the White House? Something is brewing, and these are all smoke bomb diversions. I'm not totally sure if they're coordinated enough to do that, but that's a, that's one theory. Joey says, you can't get a job at the White House unless your IQ is under 70. You have no moral compass and you owe the Russians your firstborn. Well, that's okay. Uh, we played the clip of Donald Trump giving the Easter message earlier. Oh, yes. Tom the says, prophet, I, prophet Isaiah. The prophet. Folks. 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 Tom says, Trump reading scripture. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And uh, one comment on the teachers, we just talked about it. Donald Lavercombe says, by not showing our support for teachers with a living wage, we ultimately lose the ability to educate our children, taking knowledge as power away from the people. Scary way to look at it, but also very, very true. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, reach out to us on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, So, Kyle, uh, thank you, Peter. Uh, So, Kyle, I have a... uh... Uh, I have a piece of legislation I, I'd like to get introduced, oh. uh, and that is a new um, a, a new requirement for running for president, right? Now, some people say you can't run for president unless you release your tax returns. Mm-hmm. I would support that. Uh, this, this one, I think, is maybe a little more basic. You can't run for president unless you know the name, unless you know the name of the building you will live in as president. You think <laughs> I'm kidding. Here is Donald Trump yesterday at the Easter egg roll. Also, I want to thank the White House Historical Association and all of the people that Melania with everybody to keep this incredible house or building or whatever you want to call it, because there really is no name for it. It is special. <laughs> wait, and we wait. keep it in tip top <laughs> shape. We call it sometimes tippy top shape. And it's a great, great place. Well, there's no name for it. <laughs> You know, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called the White House. Yeah, I think, I think that's the agree. word he's looking for. Can we all agree yeah. it's called the White House? Yeah. Right. It is a house. It is a building. Mm-hmm. It is special. It's called the White House. <laughs> but there is a name for it. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen you. We have talked a lot about it, but we haven't seen you to get your take on um, Pennsylvania 18, because you particularly cover house races. What do you, what's your takeaway from what happened uh, in Pennsylvania 18? I think it was a combination of, I think the Democrats probably had the stronger candidate in Connor Lamb, although uh, Rick Saccone, the Republican candidate, I think there were a lot of Republicans who were talking about him like he was the next Roy Moore, that he was an awful candidate. He was a perfectly fine Republican candidate. I mean, he didn't set the world on fire, but he was about as generic Republican as as, as they come, I think. Um, the previous and incumbent, who was, and he didn't have the problems. That no, Roy Moore of course had. not. No, 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 I mean no one has those kind of problems, yeah. Uh, yeah. except for Roy Moore. Um, but uh, the previous incumbent of that seat, I think it's important to note, Tim Murphy um, was a very successful congressman for a long time, and while he was pretty conservative on a lot of issues, particularly on uh, abortion, um, he also had labor support throughout his career. Labor is. You know, still pretty important in uh, Western Pennsylvania. A lot of those places in Western Pennsylvania voted, you know, voted for Jimmy Carter, voted for Bill Clinton, uh, and then uh, uh, you know it sort of have shifted, and, and Donald Trump kind of accelerated the, those shifts outside of Pittsburgh. 
Uh, but the combination of, I think, a superior candidate and also, you know, the Republican candidate was, again, not bad, but also not as good of a fit maybe as the previous incumbent was. And, you know, we saw that, uh, that you know, Lamb was powered by uh, the parts of the district that were closest to Pittsburgh. Lamb is now has to win a different district, mm-hmm. that, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also a district that's much more competitive on paper than this one was. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, spin it any way you want. You know, Republicans losing a, a 20-point Trump district in really what's sort of the heart of what you would think of as Trump country in terms of, you know, uh, Trump being, I think, the perfect candidate for for Appalachian America. Um, it, was a ba- it was a bad performance. There's, you know, you can't, I don't think you could sugarcoat it. I don't, I don't necessarily know if well, Republicans have been, but, um, you know, it was it was a very poor performance. Uh, they didn't sugarcoat it so much as they tried to paint Connor Lamb as a Trumper. Well, which is also not, which really is not, not true. I mean, he, look, I think in, in, in American politics, the, the people who, we don't really have centrists and moderates that much anymore in either party, I don't think. I mean, there are a handful. Uh, Lamb, I think, did a good job of sounding like a, a, a centrist. But, I mean, even on, you know, it wasn't like he was an anti-abortion candidate. Um, he did say he would not support Nancy Pelosi. But, frankly, there are other Democrats who would prefer there to be a different House Democratic leader. I mean, you know, Tim Ryan from uh, from Youngstown, he uh, got a third of the third of the, the caucus vote in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. last time. And look, he, the Democrats could potentially win the House and maybe still change their leadership. So that's, you know, Lamb, Lamb did a good job of sounding like a centrist, but he, he to me, he was a mainstream Democrat. Um, Senate, uh, I mean, CNN, rather, last week, um uh, did a poll where they asked people, okay, so who do you want to take over Congress, Democrats or Republicans? Their poll showed Democrats 50, Republicans 44%. Um, first of all, do you agree that that's sort of what the margin is? And what that's not great for Democrats, but it's not certainly not good for Republicans, right? You know, that CNN poll has really bounced around a lot. It goes from showing like a really high, like 15, I think it was, I think it, it, they've been in the sort of low to mid single, low to, low to mid single digits or double, double digits um, in their previous polls. And then they sort of contract back yeah, down to single yeah. digits. And uh, in that poll, they also, and lots of other polls have shown this, that basically the most excited voters are Democrats, which is really important for midterm. The enthusiasm gap yeah. was wider. It's like 12 points. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so um, the the that CNN poll is sort of on the low end of what the averages are right now, but it's it's basically you know six, seven, eight points uh, in in the uh, various averages of these polls, and they they bounce around a little bit. But um, I personally think that the history of the House generic ballot sort of suggests the Democrats would feel really pretty good if they were at like plus nine or plus ten um, on election day. Uh, they're not quite there right now, uh, but they're close enough, and they've cer- certainly ha- shown the ability previously to get to plus nine, plus ten, plus eleven, et cetera. And the generic ballot is a it's a useful measure, but you know, of course, these are district by district races, and uh, so they, it only gives us sort of a general sense as to what the trend is. But you know, every district in the country, uh, and um, if on a scale of one to ten, would you say six or seven that Democrats take control of the House this year? Uh, you know, I'm still at basically about fifty fifty. Many others are more bullish on the Democrats than mm-hmm. that. I'm just I I you know they need about twenty five seats to win the House yeah, back. Right. I think anything less than fifteen would be would be shocking. But the difference between that you know fifteen to twenty and then twenty five is uh, kind of tricky. But you know, there's also on the high end. You know, it could be 40 or 50, too. I mean, we're still in a pretty wide—I think there's still a pretty wide range of, of, uh, 
of possibilities. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I you know, I I think a lot of again, a lot of people are over fifty percent. I think that's very defensible. I'm I'm being a little bit cautious about it. Well, one factor that, that uh, so many factors, right? And Donald Trump is a factor, right? We don't I'm, know. Oh, absolutely, he's the factor. Really? You think well, that I, th- that... I just think that, the, you know, the history oh. of these midterm elections is such that, you know, if the president's unpopular, his party does poorly in the midterm. I mean, there's there's tons of history that, that shows that. And we don't have to look all that far back. And we saw it with Bush and the Republicans in 06 and Obama and the Democrats in 10 and 14. Um, and, uh, you know, so you would just not expect a, uh, you know, president with a poor approval rating to, to perform his party to perform well down the ballot, at least in the House. The Senate's a little bit different because the, right. the map is very difficult for Democrats. But um, but, yeah, I mean, just, you know, Trump is the issue. I mean, if the, if Hillary Clinton was right. in the White House, we would not be talking about the Democrats winning the House. And when you um, look at um, Trump so far on the campaign trail, New Jersey, Virginia, Alabama, Luther Strange. Alabama, Roy Moore, Pennsylvania, uh, Rick Saccone. Yeah, yeah, it didn't it didn't go all that well, and, and you know these are you know particularly Alabama, over oh for, oh for five, and you know Pennsylvania eighteen are not places that Democrat Republicans really should be losing these yeah, days. Right. Uh, I mean, one you know I talked about how there's this Democratic lineage in Pennsylvania eighteen. You know, Democrats did still have this sort of ancestral voter registration advantage, but you know you do look at the the performance of candidates in those districts, and certainly it's Republican leaning. Okay. So one other factor in addition to Donald Trump is there are a lot of it seems. A lot of members, both parties, but particularly Republicans, who are resigning, retiring or whatever. So right now there are going to be at least 57 open seats out of uh, 435 uh, House seats. And that's the second highest total uh, since World War II. The only year that was higher was 1992. Which was redistricting year, which you know sometimes prompts retirements. And actually, the the uh, we only have one state that redistricted this cycle, Pennsylvania. It's been a, it's a good map for the Democrats, but it prompted some some retirements uh, just yeah. just by changing yeah. the map. Uh, but also in 1992, was there was a House banking scandal, which caused some uh, um, incumbents to retire. Basically, uh, uh, members were sort of bouncing ch- or they were they were writing bad checks, right. but yeah. uh, they didn't have to pay any sort of penalty for that. And one other factor, which I think people will find just to be sort of crazy that this used to be true, is that 1992 was the last year that members could retire and convert their campaign accounts into personal funds. Oh, wow. <laughs> which is, oh, which is just kind of crazy really? to think about. Oh, yeah. Geez. So, you know, those were a little, you know, extenuating circumstances <laughs> in a year that was sort of defined by change. Uh, that was, 92 is also the year you start to see... Um, uh, majority minority districts start to show up in 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 bigger numbers. The the uh, Bush one Justice Department kind of pushed for that, and it just caused a lot of dislocation, particularly in the South, which I think uh, you know led to a lot of open seats. But again, um, we don't have a lot of those extenuating circumstances this year. Uh, and you know, a lot of a lot of Republicans in swing seats are calling it quits. Now there's some Democrats in swing seats who are leaving uh, uh, as well. Uh, news yesterday that uh, I think unrelated to her ability to win re-election, it normally would be, but uh, Elizabeth Esty in Massachusetts announcing that she was not going to run for re-election, but she really mishandled this yeah. sexual harassment c- case in her own office with her. It was her chief of staff, wasn't it, Peter, I think? Yeah, I chief, your chief of staff. Chief of staff certainly was, been yeah. behaving quite poorly, and they kind of brushed it under the rug. And, you know, the thing is he, he ended up getting another really good job basically when, when with her recommendation yeah yeah. yeah and um so Strange that she would handle it that way because I, I 
I don't know where that yeah, well, I met her, but she was a pretty strong incumbent. She had won yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, three terms in uh, uh, Connecticut's fifth district, which is uh, Northwest oh, Connecticut, no- not Massachusetts. No- yeah. uh, Northwest Connecticut, um, and her district has voted Republican down ballot. I voted for Clinton by about four points. You know, if this were an open seat again with Clinton in the White House and the sort of midterm drag working against Democrats, probably a toss-up. I think the Democrats are probably favored to keep it. Um, but it also goes to show that, you know, there is a there is an extenuating circumstance this year, and that's the Me Too movement. And there have been um, I mean, I think you could probably attribute Esty having to retire to this broader movement that sort of started with, you know, the Harvey Weinstein um, uh, stuff that, that came out last year. And it has claimed about eh, about half dozen members plus uh, House members, plus, of course, Al Franken. Yeah, it was strange that it would also cost the seat of a. Democratic woman, right? But uh, who is, I'm sure, a big supporter and part of the Me Too movement. And but you know, there's um, didn't handle it well in her own office. This is also um, what uh, I think what, what Donald Rumsfeld might call a known unknown, in that we know that there are probably going to be more um, people who get members who get forced out because of things related to Me Too. Um, who those people are and when those happen, we don't know. So uh, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. And again, we're already dealing with um, basically a historic number of open seats. And, you know, we still have have, you know, they're filing deadlines still to come in some places. And, you know, people can be forced out after uh, the filing deadlines. Would you give the same 50 percent chance to Democrats taking the Senate? No, I wouldn't. Um, the reason is that the map is so bad for Democrats. Uh, you have 35 Senate seats on the ballot now. Uh, the uh, Republican or the Democrats already control 26 of them. Um, I'm actually, I think it's I think it's 25. Now Mississippi added added an extra seat. The, the point is the Democrats are very overextended uh, in the Senate this year. They've got a Republicans lot. Republicans have nine, I think, right? Because uh, there are two independents and then yeah. Um, uh, it, it's, um, it's it's really lopsided. It's really lo- it's, it's historically lopsided. What I the just, Democrats uh, have to defend or. Right. Or pick up. Then right. They have to defend yeah. all of them and then pick up a couple. Yeah, and they're it's, counting on what? Nevada and Arizona. Arizona. Arizona's an open seat that I think the Democrats bet probably fifty fifty to win. Dean Heller in Nevada, Republican incumbent who's pretty weak, I think. That's again kind of a toss up. And you know, it's fifty one forty nine Senate, uh, Republicans control it. So all the Democrats need to do is win two seats net, but they have to, you know, win Arizona and Nevada and then defend everything else they have, and they've got a lot of Incumbents in these dark red states like Claire McCaskill in Missouri, Joe Donnelly in Indiana. By the way, the the actual number is there are 26 Democrats. If you call Bernie Sanders and Angus King of Maine Mm -hmm. a Democrat, they're actually technically independents. And then there are nine Republican held Senate seats um, after uh, Thad Cochran uh, resigned in Mississippi. Is Rick Scott going to run in Florida? Sure sounds like it. Um, He has an announcement planned for April 9th uh, and... Bill Nelson, the Democratic incumbent, would probably still be better than 50-50, but Scott has like an unlimited amount of money. He's a you know two-term governor who won very close elections in good Republican years, 2010 and 2014, uh, but Scott's numbers are actually a little bit better now than they've been in terms of favorability. So, I, I, yeah, I do think Florida's a very close race. What happens in Minnesota? Is, is the new senator running for re-election yeah and she's she's, she's i thought she said she was not would not um i think that that was reported before she got the appointment and they twisted <laughs> oh, her yeah. arm but th- you know the thing about these appointed senators they don't really have an actual incumbency advantage 
Um, well, nobody you, knows who they are, right? For one thing. And, and also, there can sometimes be a, just sort of a, a taint on a person because yeah, they they got the appointment. I mean, that's right. what we saw yeah. with Luther Strange in Alabama. Yeah. I mean, plus that you know the, the governor was sort of uh, had some had some problems, had to resign, and so being tied to the governor was actually a big problem for for Luther Strange. That's not really the case with Tina Smith in Minnesota. Uh, I think she should probably should be okay. Part of the thing that helps her is Amy Klobuchar is on the ballot, and she should win by a ton. Uh, and so there'll be coattails, coattails there for Smith. But, you know, it's, it is a, a place where Democrats may have to spend money where obviously they wouldn't have had to do that if, if Franken had, you know, had, was still there. Right. Um, we talk about the 435 members of Congress. There's something like, I forget the exact number, 750 or something um, state legislative seats. That are also up this year. Yeah, well, actually, it's probably it's it's got to be in the thousands. Actually, yeah, um, and uh, you know because every state house seat and probably you know a lot of state senate seats are up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, the Democrats should make lots of gains um, now. How many chambers they're able to flip? Kind of hard to say. Part of the problem for the Democrats is that they did so poorly in those races during the Obama years. And again, the usual midterm penalty applied you know applied then for the for the presidential party, and that shows up down the ballot too. Um, well, I think but, it was a combination of of that uh, incumbent uh, president, you know, and trickling down, but also Democrats weren't fielding candidates, and yeah. sort of they were paying more attention to Congress, Senate, or whatever, and and not 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 going after these states. Yeah, didn't even field candidates in some of these. Yeah, races. I definitely think the Republicans have have done a better job of sort of funding those races and of finding candidates for those races. You know, one positive thing for Democrats though is that they definitely do have more just more candidates across the board, and that's I mean in the U.S. House they have a ton of candidates in all sorts of places. And we're seeing that at state legislative level, too. We definitely saw that in Virginia, where uh, the Democrats picked up a pretty surpri- a surprisingly big number of seats, 15, uh, to cut the Republican edge there to just 51-49. And it would have been a tie if they'd won a coin flip. There was a race that actually was a, was, was a straight-up straight tie. Right. Um, Is there any Republican Party, the, the Republican Party that we knew a year ago? Mm-hmm. Is that is there anything left of that Republican Party, or is it now strictly the Donald Trump Party? I think the I think the party sort of takes on the identity of the president, and so you know the Republican Party is the Trump Party now, and also you know demo, like the demographic trends in the in the Republican Party was sort of taking on more and more um, kind of downscale white voters, basically who uh, you know maybe are kind of. Uh, Economically, probably certainly not Paul Ryan. <laughs> you know, they're not that that conservative, but maybe uh, maybe they're socially socially conservative. The Republicans are more and more reliant on those voters, and Donald Trump is that kind of candidate. And so, I would I would expect not only that that the the, the GOP is the party of Trump in the Trump era, but that the GOP is going to be the party of Trump or of Trumpish style candidates after he's off the off the stage. But, you know, people that you and I know, right, friends in Washington or people that we know in 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 in, in the leadership in the old Republican Party, if we want to call it that, a John McCain or a Jeff Flake, maybe. I don't know. Um, I would have put Lindsey Graham, up, so, but Lindsey floats in and out. I think, sure. Both camps. Yeah. Right. But those people they're they're part that that they're kind of republicanism you're saying they've lo- they lost they lost they lost and yeah, they, i mean look and we, they see some people think they're just going to hunker down and when donald trump is going then they'll come up again like Jeff you know Blake the daffodils in the president. spring 
Yeah, right? Jeff Flake says he's going to. Yeah. he's thinking about running for president. And you know, John Kasich's probably going to run for president oh, too. John Kasich, um, sure. But uh, I don't. I just don't think the voters right now want that. I think that if if Trump had like it lost the presidential yeah, election right. in some the, sort of you know five ten points something like that, um, then I think that somebody like Kasich could have said, "Hey, wait a second. Right. You know, we've just lost three straight presidential elections. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we basically gave the most the conservatives what they wanted in, right. in Trump. They lost. We need to you know sort of move more to the middle. But Trump won, and you know that's that's where the party's heading. So that yeah. So that old Republican Party is dead. Kyle Condit, great to see you. Thank Good you. Good to see you. Thanks for having territory. me. Right. Uh, you can follow us, uh, Kyle, on Twitter at. K Kondik, right? That's right. K Kondik, K O N D I K. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Kyle. And when we Thanks, come Bill. back, Daryl Lynn joins us from Vox. Quick break. We'll be right this back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The market crashes 450. Dow does 459 points yesterday. It was lower than that for a while. But taking the Dow down to the lowest point so far this year. Thank you, Donald. What do you say, everybody? Here we are. On Tuesday, April 3rd, the Bill Press Show booming out to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day on many fronts. Yes, and Donald Trump has been tweeting up a storm again this morning, sort of repeating the tweet storm of yesterday, taking on uh, Amazon, backing up Sinclair News, attacking Democrats on the DACA program, and uh, adding a new, or back to really, really an old favorite enemy of his today taking on CNN with a claim that you can't get a job at CNN unless you swear under oath that you are anti-Donald Trump, which, of course, is just simply not true. But you don't expect any uh, truth out of the uh, Trump White House. We've got a lot to talk about and look forward to getting your comments on it, on what's happening on the Dow, what's happening on the immigration front. Uh, what's happening with Vladimir Putin, with Donald Trump, allegedly now, according to the Kremlin, uh, inviting Vladimir Putin to the White House for a big yet unplanned summit. All those fronts we'll bring up to date on what's going on and look forward to hearing from you. Your comments on the news of the day, your take, just as important as ours. Uh, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll get right into it with all of you. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, have you filled up recently? Have you put a little gas in the tank? Um, 
Well, not recently. Not really? Well, if you're in California, which is a big car culture, a lot of people drive out Tell in California. Tell me about it. Well, they are now seeing $4 a gallon gas. Really? It's back. Yeah, it's been a while. In fact, it's yeah. been three years yeah. since the last time a gas station in California hit $4 a gallon. But right. that is back in California, particularly in San Diego, uh, of all places. They are seeing $4 a gallon gas. The average price for the state of California right now is $3.53. That's average. That's the average price of a, a gallon of gas in California. So we're seeing it go up. I don't know. They're, they're not sure. Like, we're not sure why. Like, it's we're getting into the spring and then summer happens, right? So, like, that's typically when we see the price go up a little bit. But I'm not going to complain about it. No? No. No. I, first of all, I don't I don't get into this silly game that we get into almost every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're Prices right. go up, and we just freak out, and they come down, <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, whole yeah. thing. I mean, come on. All right? Plus, the real price should be about $8 a gallon. Yeah, you're right. Other countries pay that much. Yeah, yeah. $4, if, $4 a gallon seems high here. And if we and if we had a price like that, maybe uh, auto, auto manufacturers would get serious about making some more fuel-efficient cars. By the way, and in the light of this, Scott Pruitt yeah. just did away with the cafe standards for new cars so we can go back to gas guzzlers. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. By the way, Alex Jones, our favorite Alex Jones, he is back in more trouble. Your favorite, baby. My favorite. Yeah, you know it, baby. Uh, So yesterday, a lawsuit was filed against Alex Jones by a man by the name of Marcel Fontaine. He's a 24-year-old man from Boston. And on Alex Jones' website, InfoWars, they did a story about the Parkland, Florida shooting Mm -hmm. and put up this picture of this man saying, this is the school shooter. It was not the school shooter. He is not the school shooter. And so now he has taken his case to court, which is very, very interesting. This could actually go to a jury, and this could be a big, big problem for Alex Jones. How did they come up with this photo or what? Well, well they just got it wrong. I mean, it was yeah, it, they, they, defend they, it, they deal in like internet rumors, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. somebody sort of gave them this rumor and said, "This is the guy." And Alex Jones ran right out and said, "Folks, this is the guy. Folks, this is the guy we're after." And so now he is suing Alex Jones, and I hope he gets him for all of his money. <laughs> I want to know how this dude found out it was his picture. Yeah, like right. Somebody coming out to him in the supermarket, yeah. like, uh. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, April 3rd. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. It's a big news day. Every day is a big news day as long as Donald Donald Trump is around. uh, You know he's going to do something uh, crazy, say something crazy, and he already has uh, several times this morning uh, tweeting away, uh, continuing continuing the tweet storm he started on uh, Easter Sunday morning. Uh, about DACA, about immigration, about hordes of immigrants heading for the uh, border. Uh, watch out, watch out. The Russians are coming. We used to say that. Now we say the immigrants are coming. Uh, we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., from our studio on Capitol Hill. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV, as well as the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago out in the greater Chicago area. 
Great to have you with us today, and we welcome uh, to the studio Dara Lind, who covers immigration issues for Vox, senior reporter there. Hey, Dara, it's nice to see you. Good morning. Always welcome good back. To be on. Right. What is? I keep hearing about these caravans. These caravans. What? What's really going on? Are there caravans, and where are they? And who are they? So there actually is one caravan in particular. What you need to know to understand this is that for the last several years, the most common way for people to get to the U.S.-Mexico border hasn't been, they haven't been Mexicans, they've been Central Americans. Yes. And the Mexican Honduras, government- Honduras, El Salvador, and particularly, Guatemala. Guatemala, huh? yes. Yeah. And the Mexican <laughs> government, uh, partly be- to like keep good relationships with the United States, has been really aggressive in- you know, apprehending those people, detaining them. So this, a a group, an NGO basically has every year gotten as large a group of Central Americans together as possible because it's an incredibly dangerous journey because they're worried about Mexican officials. So they have, they they get as many people together as possible to stay safe. And this year, that group of people is over a thousand people. So it's actually, it's a really large group. They crossed into Mexico late last week. Uh, and the Mexican authorities, uh, so at least initially, buses, weren't doing buses, anything. Buses, trucks, cars. They're walking. Walking. Yeah. Whoa. Um, they're, uh, you know, they're like sometimes they'll be. Sometimes some of them will be able to like hitch a ride on the back of a truck yeah, or something. But, they're like sleeping but. in plazas in towns. <laughs> um, and initially, the Mexican authorities were like, "We're not, we're not going to try to round up a thousand people. Like that's not, you know, this is, they, you know, this is not necessarily our job. Like." We're just going to see what happens with this. Um, so there, this got the attention of Fox News on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, it's a pretty direct line to the president. <laughs> but of course, in the mind of Donald Trump, this has now become, the, you know, these massive groups of people who the, are the coming. Right. Who, who are some kind of invasion force as opposed to what it is, is, you know, some of these people actually hope to resettle in Mexico. Some of them are trying to get through to the U.S. and hoping that Border Patrol agents won't detect them. But some of them are planning to present themselves for asylum. And that's actually something that a lot of Central Americans have done over the last several years. Uh the problem for this White House and why some White House staff are trying to turn Trump's kind of tweet obsession into an actual policy push is that uh, it's the White House doesn't believe that it should be allowing all of these people in just because they claim asylum. And so they are stuck between the fact that they kind of have to, if they present themselves at the U.S. border, they like are obligated under international law to give them a chance and their desire not to have to deal with that, which is why Trump is going after the Mexican government so hard to try to intercede them before they even get here. So in their, what they plan to do would be just kind of to walk up to the wall or to the fence or to the a border crossing and just say and say I'm here to seek asylum. Yeah, this this is something that you they know turn hundreds in, of thousands of people have done over the last several years. It's legal to, and this is something that a lot of people don't understand. Even if you don't have papers, it is legal to go to a port of entry at the U.S. border and present yourself and say I am seeking asylum. A lot of the Central American immigrants over the last several years haven't done that. They've instead crossed the border. Um, you know, between ports of entry, which is illegal, and then presented themselves to Border Patrol agents. It's not totally clear why that is. Border Patrol agents say it's because the cartels control the crossing and the cartels don't want to let people through at at ports of entry. They want to, like, Mm -hmm. use the confusion tactic to smuggle drugs through. Um, Immigrant advocates say that it's because agents at ports of entry actually 
refuse to let immigrants present asylum claims, that they're breaking international law by doing that. But for whatever reason, not everybody goes through the port of entry. But even if you do cross illegally, if you present yourself and say, I fear persecution in my home country, I'm worried I'm going to get killed, the U.S. has the obligation to, like, put you through a process and see if you qualify to stay in the U.S. as an asylee. Okay. So uh, the president says that they're coming up here with the express intention of crossing the border and signing up for the Dreamers program. He's been say- he said this yesterday and said it the day before, right? It is, for, for it is DACA. not. It is. If Donald Trump has any idea how DACA works, then he has not publicly evinced that. That is what I will say about that. Um, it is. It. It. it you mean he's not telling the truth no i either he's not telling the truth or he's totally clueless (laughs) right right? like i have no idea which one it is i don't know what's in his head but the i i know where he's getting this talking point from this is actually something that we've been hearing for several years that people that smugglers are using the daca program uh, and telling people well some people who are in the U.S. illegally are able to work now. So that's going to help, you know, so like somewhere down the road, that'll help you, too. It's it's not clear how much of a factor this is, especially when we're talking about people who are already going to be seeking asylum. Like they wouldn't need DACA because they'd have another form of legal status. Um, but that's a somewhat complicated argument to make. For Donald Trump, he appears to understand it as they think they're going to qualify for DACA now, which yeah. is, of course, not the case. Not only did the DACA program only apply to people who were in the U.S. as of 2007, but as of September, the Trump administration stopped taking any new applications for DACA anyway. So, like, we've got these, you know, we there are people who have been in the U.S. since 2007 who, have, you know, who now are locked out of applying who for DACA. Who would qualify, Never mind but are locked these. out. Yeah. Right. So in other words, anybody, nobody crossing the border today could get into the Dreamer program. Right, right. It's The question is more, and senior administration officials have started making this version of the argument, any time you talk about legalizing immigrants, that becomes a pull factor for future immigrants to come. So it's not even just that they're saying if we legalized anybody or if we kept the DACA program around, it would be a pull factor. They're saying... Just by talking about it, just by considering it, you are inducing more unauthorized immigration, which is a little bit of a weird it's it's not quite a First Amendment problem, but it's certainly getting up there. It's basically, you know, it's basically accusing Democrats of simply by talking about it, causing a problem for Homeland Security. Right. Right. Well, but because we know that the Democrats killed DACA. Right. Well, th- he said that also uh, two or three times in yes. the last couple of days. Yeah. yeah. And in this respect, he's actually it looked for a second like he was finally resolving the <laughs> double talk that he'd been engaging in for the last few months by saying, you know, on Sunday, he said no more DACA deal. DACA is, you know, on Monday, he said DACA is dead. But he can't have it both. You know, he can't get credit for saying I don't want to deal anymore and saying the Democrats killed it. Um Again, it's not clear that Trump understands what DACA is. He sometimes uses it to refer to the to the people, sometimes uses it to refer to, you know, the deal that didn't happen in Congress. Um, it's he and other and, and his supporters often act like they have offered Democrats everything they wanted and Democrats weren't willing to go for it because they didn't want border security. Uh, Democrats, of course, say that they if Congress is going to do something, it should be like 
permanent legal status for dreamers. It shouldn't just be this kind of two year kick the can down the road that the DACA program was. So it's that gets into a kind of legislative what counts as a good compromise fight. But Donald Trump doesn't appear to, you know, the way that Donald Trump has been talking about it simultaneously, he is killing the DACA deal and Democrats killed the DACA deal. One, uh, the top article in the New York Times today, front page, and I saw this also in the post and online on several sites this morning. Uh, The line is that, and here's the headline here, Trump returns to a hard line on immigrants. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you can, if you sum up his tweets from for the last three days, he does seem to now have gone back to a hard line that he had maybe during the campaign where there was a little period where it looked like he was trying to get a deal, right? Now he's just saying, no more deal. He said that. No more deal is done, basically. Yeah. What's going going on? Is this more bluff or? I'm generally wary of saying that Donald Trump returns to it. I think it's been a matter of relative emphasis, right? Trump has always been engaging in this kind of immigrants, you know, so well, immigrants from, will kill you and your family kind of thing. That's always from, been a theme of his from, rhetoric. From day one Literal of his day one, presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, so it's the kind of feints toward making a deal were something that we, you know, it, it, the same move that we saw most recently in the gun debate where Donald Trump occasionally uh, appears to believe that he can get everything he wants without having to give up anything he doesn't want. And so when he believes that, he'll say, yes, I, you know, just get me a bill to sign and I'll sign it. And then once it gets down into the details, he realizes that the things that he, you know, he's not actually willing to give up any ground on looking tough. What I do think is going on here, though, is, you know, there were some reports uh, that Trump's the conservative opinion leaders that represent the Trumpista base, right? The the Laura Ingrams of the world, the Sean Hannity, that kind of thing, were extremely mad about the omnibus bill because it didn't give enough funding for Trump's wall. It actually explicitly said that the funding yeah, it did yeah. give could not be used for the new pro- prototypes that Trump had just built. Um, you know, it didn't. It increased domestic spending as well as military spending. The the White House tried to push a bunch of immigration policy riders toward the end of the process that didn't go anywhere. And so, you know, there was a lot of uh, frustration with Trump among people who typically defend him. And that appears to have gotten to him. There are reports that he had dinner with Sean Hannity over the weekend that he's been, you know, like listening to people like Ann Coulter. He played golf with him. Right. So uh, there's... It it looks like the argument is getting made to him from people who usually have his back that the midterms are coming up. He needs to keep his base. And the way he keeps his base is by talking about how immigrants are going to kill you. Um, it What's interesting about this, of course, is not only is Donald Trump not on the ballot in November, but Republicans in Congress do not appear to want to touch the issue of immigration. It's not that they think it's not necessarily that they think that. Trump is out on a limb and that, you know, he's like extremely unpopular on the issue. It's that they understand that there's a massive trade off between invigorating the conservative base and losing some, you know, moderates who want to see a deal made and anybody who's taking a hard line is going to come across as, you know, not enough of a compromiser. So the it's going to be interesting to see as we kind of go through the midterm season how Trump's desire to put himself on the ballot, essentially, himself in a signature mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. Uh, 
<laughs> jives with the fact that the actual members of Congress running re-election campaigns from his party are not making are not, that their signature issue. Uh, not making it their signature issue and not giving him the money for the wall. I right. Mean, no, it's, you know, it's there's an increasing vibe. At least from, twice he said, I'm not going to sign it unless there's $24 billion for the wall. And the Republicans who control the House mm-hmm. and the Senate did not put that money in there. There is an increasing vibe from Republicans in Congress that they're not well, going to stick their necks out until they know that there is a bill the president will sign. And they don't trust the White House to actually stick to having a bill they want to sign. Like part of this is that the one bill the White House did consistently champion when the Congress was taking this up a couple of months ago was so extreme that, you know, 60 members of the Senate voted against it. But part of it is also that, like, Republican leadership in Congress doesn't want to put out a bill on a controversial issue if they don't know that their members are going to have the president's back. Um, And because the White House has sent such mixed messages on this saying one day, yeah, we want to do something for the dreamers. I want a deal. I don't care what it is. The next day, how dare you come up with a bill that doesn't do these things I asked you for? They don't trust that any one set of demands is going to actually make it all the way through the legislative process. So it's a couple of weeks ago now, the uh, president made his first visit to California since uh, winning the White House. And went down to see these little prototype mini walls, right? A little mm-hmm. demons, right? However many there were of them. I think seven or eight, I think, yeah. yeah. None of them were transparent. I mean, none of them were like see-through, right? Well, they so... But anyhow, what, so what several, came out of, of that? What came out of that? Some of them do have the kind of bollard just... fence thing, right? Okay. What, when... So it was a fence or a wall? So I, this is personally not... It, it, I'm going to leave to the philosophers where a fence ends and a wall begins. I think the... Um, or the builders. I don't know, but... The, the Before Trump, Border Patrol, or you know, the Department of Homeland Security had started using kind of these metal posts um, as fencing because you can you can see through them. You can see what's, you know, what's approaching, but that's not going to, like, let anything through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it's called bollard fencing that's become kind of the the current like wave of best thinking uh trump really wants something that he can call a wall that looks more like a fence even though the white house this is what they're now building with the omnibus money and they're calling it a wall with the omnibus money but like for trump's purposes you know they put out these prototype requests that one of them was for a concrete wall and one of them was for something other than a concrete wall and then all of the prototypes they actually approved were literally these steel posts, the bollards, topped by a concrete wall. Um, It's a very odd-looking thing, and it makes no sense unless you go, oh, Trump wanted to be able to call this a wall. Okay. Um, And they actually, you know, those prototypes apparently went through what sounds like some pretty rigorous testing, although the White uh, the administration appears to have overstated the the role of the military in them. But they're just sitting out there in the desert because Congress will not let those prototypes be used. All right. So what what is your best guess as to whether or not there's ever going to be a wall? Donald Trump's wall. I think that... It's, now forget it's about Mexico extremely, paying for yeah, it. Yeah, no, 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 we no, no. no. I've, I, no, we know right. we're going to pay for but it. But I, I think that it's extremely likely that Donald Trump is going to be able to do a photo op with like a few miles of something in the Rio Grande Valley and say, here is the wall we built it. He's already he taking credit for, yeah, he's already taking credit for the, the projects that are already being built, even though those were, you know, 
not the prototypes that he commissioned yeah. and had been, you know, ongoing building projects. So I think that it's going to be something that he's going to be able to declare victory on. It doesn't that doesn't mean it's going to be anything that wouldn't have happened under a President Hillary Clinton or a President Jeb Bush or anything like that. I disagree. I don't think there'll ever be a wall, but we'll see. We'll see. But you're right. I mean, he has he doesn't need the whole damn yeah. thing. All he needs is one, one little piece up. he can stand in Absolutely. front of. Yeah. If he gets one mile of wall built and he stands in front of it. It'll be the greatest wall ever. Exactly. Greater if he stands in front wall, of it. The, than the wall of China. Right? And, and yeah. they yes. can put that out and he can say, folks, look, I built the wall. I told you I was going to build the wall. The wall has been built. Here it is. That's all his people need. That's the all they this, need. The thing for uh, the administration, though, is now that they're actually in power, they're beginning to realize that they can't both say everything is great and continue to keep people angry at Democrats. So, like, right. they'll toggle back and forth. And you see this on the kind of talking about Central American immigration, too. When Trump first got into office, he was talking about everybody's afraid to cross the border now. Border crossings are way low. And that was true. But they then started creeping back up and he would keep saying border patrol, you know, border crossings are way low. And all of a sudden, at the beginning of this year, the tone shifted to too many people are coming in because they <laughs> they wanted to be able to pressure Democrats to change these so asylum what is, laws. What is the truth? Are, are crossings up or down? Crossings are up from last year because last year they were super low. Like it, there, there really is evidence that the inauguration of Trump did cause people to kind of hold back and say, we don't really know what's going to happen. But because so many of the people who are coming in are asylum seekers and there's not a whole lot the Trump administration could do to, you know, stop people from being able to claim asylum, at least without Congress changing asylum law, uh, that, you know, eventually kind of the whisper networks made it clear that like those things weren't changing. So now they're Still, we're still talking about f- fewer people than you historically have. I was just going to say historically, still, oh, yeah. still way oh yeah, down, we're isn't still it? we're still talking about you know way down from you know the tw- from ten years ago or or before right. that. Um, but there, especially when we're talking about families and unaccompanied children from Central America, th- you know those those flows are really responsive to like what is going to happen when they get to the other side. And the Trump administration isn't wrong that as long as the answer is, well, you're protected by humanitarian, you know, like the U.S. will welcome you in as humanitarian immigrants, that that's going to, you know, that that will be a reason for people to come. The question is, is that a reason to change the law or is that a reason to say, well, yeah, there's a humanitarian concern here? Tell me about Brandon Judd. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it, I've seen several stories that he is the guy. You can tell us who he is. Mm-hmm. He is the guy who is Donald. He's got Donald Trump's mm-hmm. ear on immigration. So Brandon Judd is the head of the Border Patrol Union, uh, which has become fairly vocal on. They're not as vocal as the ICE agents union on kind of policy issues, but they've definitely taken a role on as, you know, we're the ones who will tell you the truth about what's going on on the border when the politicians won't. So they played a big role in kind of hyping up the 2014 crisis when Border Patrol agents were being overwhelmed with, you know, the number of unaccompanied children coming in. They've often kind of acted as, you know, vigilante whistleblowers when they think that people are are being let in too easily and the union endorsed Donald Trump and did so you know he was extremely proud of that endorsement the since so what his do inauguration they, want? they haven't they are 
there's there are definitely some like traditional union concerns that when you're talking about a law enforcement agency uh, start running up against policy. Right. Like Border Patrol agents really want to be safe on the job. They do not want any risk of like getting rocks thrown at them. But what that often means is that they will oppose you know, increased transparency and use of force restrictions because they don't want a situation where they can't, you know, go after somebody for shooting for for throwing rocks at them. They are concerned about, you know, there not being enough people out on the border, which means they're going to be super, you know, they're going to always want to hire more Border Patrol agents um, when that may not be a policy consideration. So they have never been super gung ho about it's not that they the wall. It's just that they have always said, when we say wall, we mean a system of barriers and technology and people, um, which is pretty much similar to what any Homeland Security expert says. But they've also been pretty vocal about the fact that people who are coming in from Central America are, you know, they're they're being coached, they're lying about being persecuted, they're coming in too easily. And because of various laws, they have to get they often have to get released. They can't just be kept in immigration detention until they're deported. So they've been very vocal about we have to tighten these laws, these quote unquote loopholes to make it easier for us to just grab people, hold them and send them back. Right. Um, how it, it just seems to me strange that in this 21st century, looking at this problem, we're talking so much about a concrete wall and not so much about technology. There's... I mean, everything and everything else. We're moving, you know, to driverless cars and and all in in that direction. Whereas, as far as technology in the future can take us, and here we're going backwards to building a concrete wall, it's like Pat Buchanan wanted to build a big ditch, right? The actual spending that the Department of Homeland Security does really does invest in technology. I was down in the Rio Grande Valley last year, and the stuff that they are most excited about is surveillance stuff. It's, you know, they have some some pretty sensitive stuff down there. Um, but it's also the case that the Department of Homeland Security has never been extremely good at uh, managing large contracts. And so when there have been big fancy efforts to like have a virtual wall, which is what it used to be, you know, yeah. called a decade right. ago, those have been so badly managed and no one has bothered to actually set benchmarks for what do you expect these things to do once they're deployed that they've just wasted billions and billions of dollars for very little results. So it's the thing about concrete walls is that you know exactly what they're going to do and what they're not going to do, right? Like, they're not going to prevent drones from delivering drugs across the border, which is not a common thing, but it's pretty, you know, it's it's pretty spectacular when it, when it happens. It's the kind of thing that, like, media gets brings attention to. They're probably not going to prevent tunnels, although the wall prototypes Trump wants to build are theoretically designed to do that. But they are going to just stop foot traffic, whereas... A good surveillance system will allow you to know when people are coming in so that you can more easily apprehend them. But a bad surveillance system will just cost a lot of money and not do any of that. Right. Uh, so they, so they, they are, in other words, they're not giving up on the technology, but it's not to focus, I guess. Yeah. If, if you had anyone other than President Donald Trump, they would be hyping the technology. But because Donald Trump <laughs> is, you know, decided that he was going to build a wall, that's the thing he's focused on. Okay. 
Well, I feel better about these hordes of people who are heading uh, toward the uh, toward the United this is States. That's what I'm here for. Or the uh, making right. me feel better. <laughs> All we want to know is what who's coming and who's not. Thanks, Dara. Thanks Thank so you. much for coming. Thanks for your good work there at Vox, no uh, where you can follow her at Vox.com. Rebecca Entrago joins us next from Think Progress, uh, talking about um, a whole lot of stuff, including what Scott Pruitt is up to uh, in his. <laughs> Cheap room for rent here on Capitol Hill and what he's up to at EPA. Quick break. We'll be right back with the Bill Press Show Tuesday, April 3rd. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, April 3rd, uh, the Bill Press Show wrapping up here on this Tuesday. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Coast to coast, uh, wherever you are in this great land of ours, we're there with you with the news of the day, your morning roundup. On every front, uh, coming to you uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On TV, on Free Speech TV, and coast to coast, of course, uh, on Free Speech. And then in the greater Chicago area, on the progressive voice of Chicago, the great WCPT. Uh, And again, a big invitation to all of our friends in uh, Chicagoland. Come on out tomorrow evening, Wednesday, April 4th. To, the, to Darien, Illinois, and the Frugal Muse Bookstore, 6.30 p.m. I'm going to be there for a big town hall, a political town hall about Illinois politics, national politics, and talking about my new book, My Experience in Politics from the Left, Life in the Crossfire, My Experience in Politics and Media, a blurb on the front from Bernie Sanders, blurbs on the back from Jerry Brown and Rosa DeLauro, Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, and also a couple of... Uh, Conservative friends there, Joe Scarborough and Tucker Carlson, and believe it or not, Ann Coulter with Anderson Cooper right down the middle. So, oh, you and Trump are keeping similar company, right? Like Ann Coulter and all these other Republicans that he's hanging out with. You got him to blurb your book. Yeah, kind of, nice. can't, <laughs> can't go wrong. So uh, come on out. The point is, Frugal Views Bookstore. Uh, tomorrow evening um, in Darien, Illinois, 6.30 p.m. We might even talk about the um, the Hollywood version of uh, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. Mm. Uh, you know, there has been at least one inquiry whether the sc- screen rights are available. So we're thinking about who's going to play Carol and who's going to play me, and we could even talk about that tomorrow night. So Yeah, there you go. There are. But let's Christopher get... Plummer would be a good you. Oh, Christopher yeah. Plummer. <laughs> Great a suggestion. Good... That's oh, a great suggestion. Wow. And with that, we welcome <laughs> Rebecca Entrago to the, uh, from Think Progress here to the studio. Rebecca, good good, good call. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? All right. Great to see you. Good to see you as well. Uh, you've been doing a lot of reporting on a lot of different fronts. So let, I want to start with, uh, there's somebody, if you're, if you're a Fox watcher, uh, you're going to find, when you tune in this week, she's not there. Laura mm-hmm. Ingram has headed out of town. Yeah, uh, was this a planned vacation or a forced vacation? Yeah, we'd, and we'd, what's going on? We really don't know. Uh, she said she was taking uh, an Easter break. Uh, what I find uh, interesting about this Easter break is she took it on Friday. I, f- I feel like if, you know, I am come from a religious background, if I was going to take an Easter break, you would take it off for Holy Week. You would take it off for the week that she tweeted out, you know, that tweet mocking David Hogg. So she tweeted out on Friday, or she told her uh, viewers on Friday that she would be taking an Easter break to celebrate the holiday with her um, for the whole week with her children. Um, so, yeah, we really don't know if it was planned or, or anything. Um, you know, Bill O'Reilly took a similar vacation that he claims was planned. And never know, came back from. Never came back from it, so... Yeah. But but she got she got into hot water because mm-hmm. earlier in the week she had tweeted you mentioned about 
Yeah, she so, basically mocked David Hogg for him not getting into four University of California schools, which are very difficult schools to get into, especially when you're you know young, when you're not from California. Um, so she basically you know tweeted that out. The tweet is still up, and it was up for 24 hours before she finally apologized. And she only apologized after I think about maybe and, like three advertisers had dropped her already, and more have dropped already. Of course, yeah, about or over a dozen mm-hmm, right. have dropped her. The tweet is still up. Yeah, she hasn't deleted it, which is why I believe that she's probably not going to be dropped from the network anytime soon. I don't think she feels any pressure. Um, you know, with with the case of Bill O'Reilly, there were he, I think he lost like seventy advertisers, and uh, it was funny watching uh, Bill O'Reilly that week that he, you know, the, all the harassment and uh, you know settlement news came out because you know he had these advertisements from these top corporations and companies and by the end of the week you know it was just like three catheter ads and that was like he, you know that's all i could really you know get on the on the program right well you say that she took her uh vacation uh as an easter yeah but also break. she apologized in the spirit of holy oh, week yeah. right. let, let's <laughs> me forget in the spirit of holy week um and probably pressure from advertisers she uh thought it best to apologize and she didn't apologize for calling him i think in the tweet she said he was whining about not being yeah, uh, right. accepted into universities but she didn't apologize for you know calling him a whiner she apologized if she had hurt his feelings so oh yeah, yeah. right so <laughs> well i uh, i guess this uh spirit of easter and everything is um uh that donald trump may be get- catching that from Fox News, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he had uh, Donald Trump, uh, Preacher Don, we might, mm-hmm. might start calling him, had his own uh, Easter message for the American people. If you can ever <laughs> imagine Donald Trump from the pulpit mm-hmm. quoting the Bible, here's what that sounded like. Both of these sacred celebrations remind us that God's love redeems the world. Almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote, darkness covers the earth. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Do you say doctors? It sounds like... Do- no, I, I, I listened to it four times before. I thought he was saying doctors, doctors and I couldn't get that. It's darkness. Darkness. But, darkness. But, the absence of light. Folks, did you hear about this? <laughs> Prophet Isaiah, my friend. My good close guy. friend, Prophet good Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah, good yeah. guy. Yeah. Good we were guy. saying, hey, Prophet Isaiah... He's uh, he and Frederick Douglass. Yeah, my, they hang out. Are, they hang out. <laughs> <laughs> They're very close friends. Oh, God, he knows them very well. Just hearing Donald Trump talk about the prophet, I say, mm-hmm. anyhow. So we'll find out what happens to uh, Laura Ingerbrother. She'll be back. How much hot water is Scott Pruitt in? I think he's in a fair amount of hot water. Uh, you know, if as if his you know. $49,000 soundproof uh, booth that he had installed in his office, you know, uh, wasn't enough. Uh, you know, uh, his very uh, cheap condo deal he has going for him in a Capitol Hill, $50 a night. That's cheaper than like getting a Motel 8 in D.C. Like it's dirt cheap. Um, and, you know, it, it was a lot. And, and for the whole time that he's used it, he's paid a total of 6000 mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because he only pays that $50 yep. for the nights that he stays there. And yep. you know he keeps stuff in that room. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as the New York Times reported last night, the uh, one of the lobbyists, uh, the lobbyist that he's renting the condo from, his lobbyist client, they struck up a deal with the EPA. So it's all very unethical, as are with most things in the Trump administration. Well, yeah. it's so it's so interesting because when you were on the show a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about all the different scandals because mm-hmm. you wrote a great sort of primer for those that weren't aware of all mm-hmm. the many scandals in the Trump cabinet. Uh, you had a great piece on that. And we talked about whether or not Scott Pruitt and others would survive this. 
And it really is starting to feel like he might not survive this. Yeah, I think I said my pick, you know, the next person to go down was Ben Carson, who has not gone down. Actually, mm-hmm. was uh, David Shulkin, who uh, who uh, yeah, was right. either resigned or uh, fired. We don't actually uh, know who to believe on that yet. Um, but, yeah, so I think with Pruitt, you know, it's, it's a case where I think he's – I, I don't know at this point I don't know what's enough to bring someone down um, <laughs> right. you know uh, Tom Price you know charted what it was like a million dollars was just private flights that's that's a lot but you know it's hard to know where the administration draws the line on what is and what isn't ethical right I like, just since the Tom Price story right like Mnuchin has racked up at least yeah, that much right yep. right right uh, right at, at least no. that same amount I think of some dollars. of it has to do with the personal relationship they have yeah. with, mm-hmm. with Trump right yeah but I just I was just just jotting down the ones that I can think of. Yeah. Um, and if you did the whole story, mm-hmm. but so uh, Tom Price, Ryan Zink, in trouble for misusing uh, funds, misusing funds, yeah. and, or lining their own mm-hmm. pockets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Tom Price, Ryan Zinke, David Shulkin, mm-hmm. Ben Carson, yep. Scott Pruitt, yep. Steve Mnuchin. Yeah. There may be I may be forgetting. Well, it's half the cabinet. Of, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. But again, I, I I don't like to always do this and don't do it that often. But reflect back on the Obama administration. Yeah. I there was a scandal-free administration. He ran a very tight ship. You can he say. really yeah. did. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think Chris Christie was right. The vetting here, the transition. Mm-hmm. Of course, Chris mm-hmm. Christie says that because he had been yeah. head of the transition and he was fired. Mm-hmm. But they did a lousy job. Yeah. Of screening these candidates and making mm-hmm. sure that they didn't have some problems or they weren't inclined to just be money grubbers. Yeah, right? and and I think with the red flag that we should have just seen this coming was the minute that you know we found out that Trump had put his assets in a blind trust of his two uh, of oh. his two children who still come on to Fox News for him and defend him. They're very much political, you know, surrogates for him, and he still has he has access to the trust his lawyer said you know that he can access money from the trust and pull it without ever notifying the public so you know that for me because when it's when i started out in journalism uh just last year uh fresh out of college my first assignment was to cover you know the ethics of the trump administration and i was so excited i was like i'm gonna put these people in their place and look at this you know sir you are violating like blah blah, blah. and like now i'm just like the What's the point anymore? <laughs> like, all the ethical lines are so blurred. Well, yeah. I mean, we haven't mentioned uh, all the money that Ivanka Trump is out yeah. there selling her products mm-hmm. every day. And, yeah. um, and you yeah. know, and with and then the emoluments clause mm-hmm. and all those conflicts with the president himself. Yeah. Right. You know, I was wondering this morning, how did Rick Perry escape? You would think he'd be on this list. Yeah. Fact, you know what? You never he might as well not even be here. <laughs> do you ever hear about Rick? Do you ever no. hear? No, not right? at all. Not a no. word. Not at all. And I think that's just his nature. Even when he was like a candidate, when did you ever really hear about Rick Barry? Someone said no, something but, dumb. But, you know, he's a former governor yeah. Of, yeah. of Texas, ran for president yeah. twice. You'd think he'd be a big player in the yeah. Trump, be never he, he, in his presence in Washington, D.C., or in the Trump White House mm-hmm. or in the Trump cabinet. Yeah. He's like invisible, like a ghost, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And now that you mentioned the emoluments clause, the case that uh, the state attorney generals have from Maryland and D.C. against the emoluments clause case. I mean, the judge in that case looks like they really let the you know, they gave the state standing that they have, you know, the right to pursue. 
uh, you know, they claim that, you know, the convention centers, taxpayer-funded convention centers in the District of Columbia and in Maryland are losing out on business because, you know, people would rather go and spend, you know, money having events at the Trump Hotel, you know, right on Pennsylvania Avenue than going right. out to, yeah. you know, yeah. to convention which centers. Is, so. Which is true. That's what's... Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the, the judge in that case, um, you know, <laughs> seems like... You know, he's very uh, interested in the case and seems like the states have uh, have standing. Well, um, it would be just ironic, I guess, if Scott Pruitt, who has reversed everything that Barack Obama did in terms mm -hmm. of climate change, yeah. the architect of pulling out of the Paris agreements and just this week just did away with the cafe standards for new cars, mm -hmm. uh, which President Obama had put in place. If after all of that environmental destruction... What brings us down? What brings them down? Yeah, is this fifty dollars sweetheart deal with an oil lobbyist? Yep. You know, I mean, rather than he should have been, one would hope be fired for uh, banned and not even get the job because it was anti-environmental yeah. background, yeah. right? And record. Uh, instead, it'd be the the money that could the, the, yeah. the room and, that and could bring him down. Whatever brings him down, it brings him down. I'm for it. Yeah, and I think what makes you know these these cabinet secretaries. Uh, advisors makes their you know misuse of funds or whatever so uh, so doubly hard and like difficult to swallow is that you know while they're doing that they're also tearing apart the administrations they run total. their total budget cuts and everything you know like this is this is a real real problem for for two reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned David Hogg and mm -hmm. and Park Parkland and yeah. of course and the Great March for Our Lives here in mm -hmm. Washington D.C. but. Total silence on the part and inaction on the part of uh, this Congress, mm -hmm. and none expected until maybe after the midterms if yeah. the Democrats are able to get control of the House. Meanwhile, you've been looking at uh, anything happening on the state front? Yeah, there are a number of states uh, who are, you know, taking, you know, this gun control matter into their own hands. I'm from Florida, so I'm particularly interested in what Florida is doing. Uh, you know, my my family lives in South Florida, lives, you know, in Broward County. So mm. it was, you know, very, very close to home for me. And so I've been, you know, kind of keeping my eye on that. And, you know, something that I, I wrote about last night was that in Florida, there was a uh, 2011 statute that was sort of uh, pushed by uh, Governor Rick Scott and also backed by the big NRA lobbyist for Florida, Marion Hammer, um, former M NRA president. And um, basically, they, in, on the municipal level, mayors are not allowed to enact any sort of gun regulation. Like, if you're a mayor from Orlando, you can't have a ban on assault weapons in your city. Or else you could be fined $5,000 and you could be threatened to be removed from office. So... You know, after Parkland, there were a number of city commissioners who, you know, in South Florida, in Broward County and West Palm Beach, who, you know, they had these students from Parkland come up to them like, please, can you do something on, on gun control? And they were like, I literally can't because I could lose my job or I, you know, you know, funds from the city could be taken away. So there are 10 mayors from um, South Florida cities like Coral Gables where they tried to enact an assault rifles ban and they and the city council initially voted unanimously uh, on a plan to draft a proposal to ban assault um, assault rifles in um, Coral Gables. But they couldn't get very far because the lawyer for the city was like, you're going to get hit with massive fines. So um, Coral Gables and a number of cities are suing um, State Attorney General Pam Bondi in Florida and um, Governor Rick Scott uh, for saying that it violates uh, their First Amendment right. And so they are trying to get the statute overturned. So that cities would be able to have mm -hmm. a, yes. so they can a regulate tougher guns. standard than the state. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yeah. And what about this bill that Rick Scott signed? I mean, he seems yeah. to be getting a lot of credit for it, but it's a nothing it's, burger, isn't it? It's, it's, absolute, it's just the m- middle-of-the-road common-sense gun law. It's raising the minimum age to purchase all weapons to 21. Um, it's more funding for mental health programs in schools, uh, potentially arming teacher, some staff in the schools, um, and it's banning bump stocks. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. And, you know, there's a big, you know, he's getting a lot of good press for it. He's running for Senate in Florida. So um, not officially announced. We were told earlier today that his he's scheduled an announcement for the oh, 9th yeah, of yeah. April. For 9th yes. of April, but he's already filed. He's running. Yeah, he's yeah. running. Yeah. And um, that'll be very uh, interesting. Um, but. Yeah, so it's really just middle-of-the-road common-sense gun laws. It's really nothing special. And already there are some um, state senators in Florida or state representatives in Florida who are looking to repeal parts of what they passed. Um, there's, <laughs> already, right. There is a, there's a state representative from uh, from one of my home districts in uh, Brevard County, which is near um, where Cape Canaveral is. And he said he initially voted for the suite, you know, the suite of uh, gun regulations because he liked things like more money for mental health programs and more money for arming teachers and things like that. Um, but he thought that, you know, the ban on um, uh, the raising the age limit from 18 to 21 violates the Second Amendment rights of 18 to 21 year olds. So he's looking to repeal those provisions of the uh, gun regulation that he just voted for. Um, and he's getting a number of people who also agree. Um, so they're also they're already trying to undo the yeah. little that they did. Yeah. And, you know, already like they're basking like this, like good press, you know, and, and they're just already, you know, trying to take some of this back. I read the uh, profile of uh, Marion Hammer. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. her name, right? In the, yeah. in the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great profile. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, uh, but uh, did she support this new the law that Rick Scott signed, or did no, he dare cross her? Uh, the NRA actually sued the state of Florida shortly afterwards, after uh, after uh, Governor Scott signed it. So they they very much for the same reasons that a lot of these state representatives are uh, wanting to repeal some you know some of the regulations that they just passed, like you know violating the Second Amendment rights of eighteen to twenty one year olds and all that. That was the same reason why the NRA uh, just you know sued the state. They did right. Yep. Right. Um, and on another front, entirely. Uh, you've been following um, McDonald's, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm very interested in labor unions. We were we were talking earlier, just just a little tangent here, that Donald Trump may be may be at war on Twitter with mm-hmm. Amazon, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, we were talking about what other American companies, uh, signature American companies that he might go after. Mm-hmm. You know, we we were sure that McDonald's will never be on the list. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Right. They're safe. They're safe. He's, huh? he's a loyal customer, and yeah. I think they, I think they treat their workers too poorly. That uh, I think, he, I think he would uh, fall in line with their uh, work. Uh, does ethic. he ever go into one, or just sends people in? I'm sure he just sends people. Although I don't know. Remember, remember Bill Clinton famously when he was president without jogging and would walk in, go into the McDonald's, right, mm-hmm. yeah. and steal people's fries. Yeah, of course, yeah. But, uh, I can't imagine that was that. the that was the Saturday Night Live <laughs> version of it. There but, are the stories, but he actually would go into that one day at the White House. There are those stories about Trump when he was on the campaign trail, how he oh, went yeah. in there. I yeah. forgot who. Yeah. Oh, oh, somebody got left God. behind, remember? Yeah, somebody got left behind because he put in a special order, and Trump had no time for that. Yep. He's yeah. like, leave him. Yep. Yeah, And right. they left him there. <laughs> Standing alongside the road. Who was that? 
Sam oh. Nunberg. It was Sam Nunberg. Oh God! Of course Nunberg. it was. Yeah, it was Sam Nunberg. They all went into the they all went into the McDonald's and everybody put in their order. And Sam Nunberg had a special request, so they had to make it fresh. Of course. And so everybody else gets theirs, and Sam has to wait. And Trump just goes, "I hey, just leave no. him here." And the motor, and they left the motorcade him. left, and he's left standing him in the McDonald's. That's that's just uh, so beautiful. It's Amazing. just per, it's peak Trump. No, it is. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Uh, but back to uh, McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I'm kind of always just been interested in, in, in labor yeah. unions and, and, and everything. And so um, in 2011, McDonald's got a lot of initial good press from, um, you know, random outlets who praised McDonald's for announcing that they would pay their corporate store employees $1 above the local minimum wage. So, you know, if you're in a city that makes the minimum wage is $11 now, you're going to be paid $12 an hour. Um, and so three years later, um, you know, I received a couple of pay stubs um, from workers in um, cities in the Bay and uh, from corporate stores. And th- that's the big clarification here is that, you know, labor uh, experts kind of panned the announcement at first because, you know, McDonald's is such a franchise giant that, you know, McDonald's corporate oversees very little of its actual stores, you know, the actual franchise owners. Do. I didn't know there were corporate stores. I thought they were yeah, they're, all they're, franchise. No, they're only 10% of, of are McDonald's corporate? are corporate owned. So, huh. you know, this wage increase affected very, very little yeah. um, McDonald's stores. And they're mo- mainly in the Chicago area, Bay Area, and around Los Angeles. And um, so basically three years later, you know, these workers at these stores are seeing only pay increases of about 30 cents more, 60 cents more. They're not getting that dollar more. And so, you know, the fight for 15 has really been on this and and um, and, you know, sort of pressuring McDonald's to sort of make good on their promises. Um, but even that, that's just 10 percent of stores there. You know, there are there are, you know, McDonald's employees who have been fired or chastised for participating in strikes. Um, and yeah. McDonald's corporate can't do anything about it because they've been uh, classified as a joint employer. So um, franchisee owners um, or corporate uh, uh, corporate McDonald's uh, cannot be held responsible for the actions of their franchise owners. We haven't seen um, any of the uh, Fight for 15 mm-hmm. rallies yeah. uh, in a long time. Yeah, there was a, a fight. the last year. I mean, there was a five or fifteen rally. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago um, to celebrate the anniversary of the uh, Memphis worker sanitation strike in yeah. Memphis, and there were a couple of five or fifteen rallies across the country for that. Um, but uh, you know, not anything specifically tied to a fifteen dollar minimum wage. It was just sort of tied to uh, you know labor. Uh, labor unions and, and things like that. Uh, and it's worth pointing out that the big commemoration of the uh, Memphis uh, sanitation worker strike mm-hmm. is tomorrow, uh, yep. April 4, yep. which is the 50th anniversary of the assassination, believe it or not, of Martin Luther King Jr. Yep. Uh, and uh, that's the, all our, our America's labor leaders are down there probably already today, and mm-hmm. there's going to be a huge, huge um, uh, event and celebration, a big march, uh, you know, kind of repeating the march of, of, of 50 years ago. Um, one other issue that's, that's, that's this inter- interesting thing here in Washington, at least in this little bubble we live in, mm-hmm. it's still uncertain whether or not um, April 28th, this year's White House Correspondents Association dinner, yeah. Donald Trump did not go last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year he did go to the gridiron dinner, mm-hmm. but here we are April 3rd, 25 days away, and the president has not indicated whether or not he will attend this year's White House Correspondents Association dinner. Uh, I'll be there, bought a table, (laughs) um, and um, be there with some of our good friends. But uh, yesterday, 
the White House Correspondents Association and announced the, the reporters who are going to get awards at this dinner. Yeah. They include um, from, uh, I'm blanking on her first name, uh, Margaret Haber? Maggie Haber. Maggie. Maggie mm-hmm. Haberman. Yeah. From the New York Times, mm-hmm. who has been both Donald Trump's yeah. best friend and, and arch enemy. enemy. Yeah, it's an arch interesting enemy. relationship. Yes, right. Uh, they also include from CNN mm-hmm. the Jake Tapper. Fake Carl, news. Uh, yeah. yeah, fake news. Jake Tapper, um, Jim Shuto, I think, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Carl Bernstein, the four of them, somewhat one other, um, uh, Evan oh. Justice Reporter, I believe. Mo- I his first, but at, at any rate, uh, um, the ones who broke the story mm-hmm. that there was this dossier yep. that yep. claimed some pretty salacious information mm-hmm. about Donald Trump and they and they broke the story that the FBI briefed Barack Obama and Donald Trump about this dossier. Yeah. So Carl Bernstein who has said some <laughs> really really uh, tough things about Donald Trump. He's got to be getting awards. And the way the dinner works, the president is there yeah. and the ones who get the awards come down and they all shake hands with mm-hmm. the president and the first lady. Yeah. <clears throat> so what do you think? Do you think he'll show? Uh, Knowing that they're going to get their awards? I don't know. I, I I think last year he chose not to go because, you know, people were still very hostile. It's a very hostile environment. And while it is still hostile now, I think he's kind of settling into the role as president more. Um, and there have been times where he's been complimentary to CNN. Like, there have been times where he not has... Not this morning. No, not, definitely not this morning. But in <laughs> but, the past, yeah. he's he's been like, oh, sure. you know, you've been fair to me on some occasion, blah, blah, blah. Sure. And, you know, it's I, I think he will, I guess but... there are two questions. One, will he go? And two, will Carl Bernstein shake his hand? I don't know. <laughs> hey, Rebecca, great to see you. Thank you. Think great Progress. Thinkprogress.org. Check it out. Come back and see us tomorrow, this folks. Is have a great Blue day. show. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.